For marketing agencies and social media managers looking to prove the value of their work, I've got something special for you. Agora Pulse is not only Social Media Examiner's tool of choice as an all-in-one social media management tool, it also allows you to track the traffic, conversion, and revenue from every social post, comment, and private message. Learn how to prove your social media ROI with a free training or a free trial by visiting agorapulse.com SME today. Again, agorapulse.com SME. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Talk Show, your guide to the ever-changing world of social media. Welcome to the show. I'm Jeff C., And I'm Grace Duffy. And before we get into today's topic, I want to let you know that our show is being brought to you by the YouTube Marketing Summit by Social Media Examiner. It starts this coming Monday, and this is the last day to come get your tickets. So you can find those and details on our lineup at socialmediaexaminer.com slash summit. Again, that is socialmediaexaminer.com slash summit, S-U-M-M-I-T. And we are so excited to be joined again today by Jamie Lieberman. And we're going to explore the new Facebook rights manager for images and what copyright infringement means for marketers. So if you don't know who Jamie is, she is the owner and founder of Hashtag Legal and a practicing lawyer. She regularly speaks about legal matters, the art of negotiation and entrepreneurial topics at live events and podcasts. And she is also the co-host of the Fearless Business Podcast. Jamie, thanks so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so we're going to have a great time today. So let's just go right into the news, Grace, and we will uh, start rolling through that. So Facebook this week rolled out a rights manager for images tool. So with this newly launched tool, Facebook now allows creators, publishers, photographers, rights holders to claim ownership, protect, and manage their images across Facebook, Instagram, and anywhere else those images are embedded from Facebook and Instagram. So when matching content is found on a page or a profile, the rights holder can then choose simply whether they just want to monitor the content, content, block its use through takedown requests, or request an attribution credit uh, to themselves via the ownership link. Now, creators can also choose whether they want their ownership to apply globally, worldwide, or only for a specific geographic location. And before we dive into what this all means, let's get one detail out of the way, Jamie. Can you break down for us, what is the difference between permission and attribution when it comes to image use on Facebook and Instagram? Such a good question. (laughs) Permission means that you've actually asked for permission. So you've gone to the copyright holder and you've said, hey, can I post your photo? Attribution means that you may or may not have asked. It doesn't necessarily imply that you did ask for permission, but at minimum you've said, hey, this is the person or company that owns or took this photo. So they are two different things. So a follow-up question to that. So when you do get permission, is it advisable to just say like message them in Facebook and they say, yeah, it's okay. Does that count as permission or or do you need to like have a signed document from your attorney to them and back and forth for, for this kind of thing? So I think it really depends on the type of use. 
a permission via DM or via email is perfectly acceptable. It certainly would be binding as long as you had a writing that everybody agreed to. You'd want to make sure that you save it. So that is a key component. You know, DMs can get lost. Emails can get lost. For something where you're paying for something or you're using it commercially, the more complex the license, which is a license is just asking someone permission to use a copyright protected material, the more complex that license is, the more likely you'd want something in writing. But if you're just sharing somebody else's image and they say, yeah, go ahead and use it, I don't want to make everything overly complex. So having a really long license often doesn't make sense. It's really on a case-by-case basis, um, but just make sure whatever you do, whatever permission you get, you save it so you have it forever. Very, very cool. So, because I've seen big brands do this. In fact, this is funny. I, I took a picture of a sunset going behind a Texas Waffle House, which, you know, is very, very classy. But Waffle House reached out to me and said, hey, can we post this on our account? I said, yes. And they had a form I could tell that was from their department. But uh, so it, it doesn't have to be this big thing. So um, thank you for making that clear. So one of the other things in this kind of news article is they said if another person tries to claim ownership of the same page, two parties can go back and forth a couple times to dispute the claim and Facebook will eventually yield to whoever filed first. Uh, if they then want to appeal that decision, they can use Facebook's IP reporting for it, reporting form. So the question I wanted to ask is, will this lead to like squatters going to try to claim like ownership images for big brands. I remember back in the day we had some music we were using for Social Media Examiner and that and it was I had it was a licensed royalty free place and somebody had claimed it and was trying to get all this stuff. And so do you think that's gonna happen with this kind of thing or how can we like protect ourselves from it? Yeah. So I think unfortunately that always happens. <laughs> There's always a bad apple who's trying to make everything more difficult. You know, honestly the best way to protect yourself is to just keep clear records of your copyright in whatever images you're creating, whether you're registering them or not, but making sure that you have, you just know like when you took it, have all that proof lined up, which is hard to do when you're creating so many images, Mm -hmm. but as best as you can, having a good system is your best bet. Um, I'm hopeful that that doesn't happen. Uh, We see it happen from time to time where there are people out there that just really, as I say to my kids, aren't making great choices, but for the most part, it is, um, pretty challenging to squat on something that really you don't have true ownership over. Right. So Claire Phillips in the comments here has a really great question. She says, how does this work with sites like Upsplash, Pixels, and Pixel Bay? So let's say that you are a wise marketer making the good choices and you go to these sites and you pay the money, you give the attribution, you do everything you're supposed to do. How does the right owner at this point know that you have rightfully and legally and properly paid and purchased uh, for use of their images? And how should Facebook and Instagram account owners show that they have purchased the rights as opposed to, oh, I took a screenshot, zoomed in or whatever people do to take those images from the site? Because we all know that they do it. We see it. I see it. I've seen ads where they have the water <laughs> mark on them. You're just like, seriously, right? Yeah. So how would, short of having that water, not having that watermark on the image, right? What's a way to say, I am doing the right thing, rights owner, I have paid you, I have, I'm doing right by you. Yeah, save your licenses, essentially. My recommendation for anybody who's purchasing stock photos or licensing photos is when you save that photo that you've purchased, 
you want to save the license in the same folder. So you're always going to have it. If it's a subscription-based model, you just want to make sure that whatever screenshot you have or proof that you've paid for that license. But the really also key is make sure you're reading the license because sometimes the license you think you're getting is actually not what you're getting. So make sure that you're falling within the confines of the license that you've actually purchased. But I just recommend keeping copies of all of the licenses for the photos that you're using and you've purchased. I think that's a great point. And I know places like uh, like Creative I think Creative Market and uh, like Video, Invato and all those stuff, when you download it, they have a place right by your download where you can download that license. So that's a great yep. point of making sure you can do that. And the other thing that I think a lot of people, and you pointed it out as well, is knowing what that license is. Because I know a lot of people, you can download fonts to use for like your designs. And when you're doing stuff like uh, you're making a downloadable, but when you put that font on a t-shirt, automatically you turn into commercial font territory and you have to pay a different licensing fee because I found that out. So uh, that's a great point, Jamie. Thank you for, for bringing that out. Because is there anything else that like, are maybe some hidden things that people don't think about that maybe you need to double check and it's a different license than, than kind of like fonts, I guess? Yeah. So you're really looking at the commercial use versus, you know, the individual use. Mm-hmm. So just make sure you know which type of license that you're buying. That's really key. Make sure that, you know, whatever you're using it for is just allowed in that license. But usually it's the difference that you're talking about versus the individual use versus that commercial use. Gotcha. So with all this stuff coming out with Facebook and, you know, the, you know, the IP reporting and all that. So what should account owners do now if they have like old embeds in blog posts or reshares on Instagram, like they, oh my gosh, I didn't know all this stuff. What should they do now? Like, what can they, like, if they can't, don't know where those licenses are, it'd be a nightmare to track down. What should they do? This was the age old question when everyone was using free stock photos mm-hmm. <laughs> and we all started to get those cease and desist letters. My recommendation is to remove them. I know it's onerous. I know nobody wanted to hear that. I'm really sorry. I'm just the messenger. Right. Um, <laughs> don't cheat the messenger. Honestly, it's your, it's your safest bet. If you don't have a license, if you can't find your permission, remove it and find an image to put in its place or ask for permission. But it's not worth that risk. It's not worth that cease and desist from one of those companies that is trolling online. And, you know, I still have clients that are pulling out old stock photos that they were using from those free stock photo sites from 10 years ago. Right. It's painful, but it's worth the effort just so you're not dealing with a cease and desist. Which has, a, a, I want to pull up this question because I think it's a great follow-up. So Vincent goes, but okay, but if we pick a photo from a website that's not on the platform that you can buy it, is it okay if we give full credit to the owner of that photo? Which I think is a, a big mistaken assumption. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, that's a great question. So the answer is no, without some kind of permission, um, whether it's Uh, asking, like we talked about, you send somebody an email and say, Hey, I love your photo. Can I post it on my blog or on my, you know, on my Facebook page, or you actually go and you go to a website where you can buy the rights to use it. Uh, you can't use somebody else's image. Gotcha. Thank you for making that clear. Oh, and I want, we have a several questions in the, in the comments here. I wanted to remind everyone, this is called Rights Manager and it is found in your creator studio. And this is something for pages, not necessarily personal profile. So if you are a page owner, you have access to creator studio, you can go into this tool called Rights Manager and there you'll find this tool, the right manager, uh, Rights Manager for image, which is a new version of Rights Manager. But apparently this is just a lot more powerful, right? So 
We have a question from, this is from uh, Tony Wang. He's in our society. He's a very active member in our society, actually. And the question is, what can right holders do? So the person owning the image, how did they go about protecting your content? His comment was, he literally creates thousands of images a year. And he's wondering how much of a pain would it be somewhat for someone like him, who creates these thousands of image to do the things that Facebook wants him to do to protect his images like he's fairly computer savvy he's very tech savvy he's very involved in social media so i know it's not a matter of of being able to it's just a matter of how do you do this so what's the best way to protect yourself if you because this is quite a daunting task to go after years and years of those embedded content those embedded uh images yeah, I wish I had a good answer. <laughs> I don't think there's a magic pill right now. I think, unfortunately, it's going to be a lot of work. And I think it's a cost-benefit analysis. You have to decide what your risk tolerance is. For some people, they're like, I'm just willing to leave it there and risk it and hope that I don't get, and there are no issues. Um, and for some people, they're less risk tolerant. And so they want to remove those images. For you, For if you're trying to protect your images... Frankly, the only way to do that is, I guess, to be searching and making sure that, you know, if you see that somebody is using your images in an unauthorized way, speaking up and asking them to take it down. Um, and, you know, there's also the route of copyright registration and, and there's lots of ways you can protect yourself, but there's no sort of fast way to do it, unfortunately. I wish I had a better answer. Yeah. Dang <laughs> well. it. Well. <laughs> I know. I know it's I tough. Know. So the government wasn't expecting people to prolifically make so much <laughs> content when the copyright laws were written. I mean, they're making changes. There's new changes for ways that you can register blogs now. That's a lot more user friendly, but it's just the government has to, you know, catch up a little. Right. So this right. is a great question from Bree. He, he goes, and um, I guess the question is, and his question is, can anyone share boilerplate language for licensed templates that covers individual and commercial use of all types? I mean, I know that there's places people can find that online, but is it better for you to actually have it, you know, have a go to a lawyer and have them write specific language for your website? Or do these boilerplate language, will it cover you if there's any sort of dispute? So licensing is actually one of the most complicated areas of law. Um, intellectual property in general is. And so I tend to shy away from boilerplate language. Gotcha. I think it doesn't completely protect you. If it's your only choice and this is all you have, then certainly try to find something. But there's a lot of nuance to that language and depending on what needs to be protected and how you want to protect yourself and whether or not you're licensing, you know, content that you've created or, or some kind of work that you've created to somebody else. At minimum, I'd recommend talking to a lawyer just to have a good understanding of, you know, what issues are implicated in that licensing. It's just important to at least understand it even if you're not going to invest in having a lawyer create that language for you. But I do tend to think that it is very specific to each individual person. Great. That's awesome. This is a great question from Lucas as well. And this is kind of a different area, but what if one is using an audio clip that's gone viral on social media and one is joining the dance challenge on a specific copyright song like this uh, Jerusalem dance challenge? What's the legal ramifications there? Could you potentially get in trouble if you're joining in on one of these dance crazes that all the kids are doing i don't know what you're <laughs> like on tiktok they have like specific dance challenges oh. and they have background music from like a, a an auth, uh, a famous artist or something like that right and then like the next person would then so the next oh, person God. would then yeah. mimic it using the same music and it just goes on and on and on right okay that's what you're talking about yeah, yeah. 
So, I mean, you're not permitted, obviously, to use somebody's copyright protected music unless you have permission. But a lot of times in these particular apps, they've received the licenses. So that's how a lot of times they're able to use the music. And the apps tend to police sometimes within themselves and sometimes the owner of the copyright will do it as well. But yeah, if you're using music that is not, you're not you don't have permission to use it's a risk, but a lot of times that permission has been granted or frankly, sometimes the copyright owner doesn't care because it's getting people listening. So they may not be prosecuting that right. particular infringement. Gotcha. Right. All right. So this next piece, we go to all of like the big players in the industry, kind of like YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, strike a deal with advertisers for addressing this harmful content. So Grace, kind of break this down and then we'll dive into it. Yeah, so Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, of course, have come under fire for years for allowing and tolerating hate speech and other harmful things on their site. And so they came to a deal, and this was announced by the World Federation of Advertisers. They, uh, these companies and a group of big advertisers, I'm not sure who exactly, but they were saying that they came up with standard definitions uh, would be adopted on all forms of harmful content, such as hate speech, bullying, platforms would then adopt a harmonized reporting standard when it comes to reporting hate speech and bullying, and the platforms did agree to some practices reviewed by external auditors and to give advertisers more control about where their content is displayed alongside their ads. Now, we've been reporting on this kind of stuff for years now, Jeff, you and I, right. and, and you know, they've been doing a lot to protect advertisers from having their content show up against other you know, things that were questionable, even just something that's off topic. But what do you think this impact, Jamie, will have on marketing campaigns? Will this new deal change the way that we're creating ads on, on Facebook and YouTube and Twitter? I mean, I don't necessarily, well, one, I think it's going to take a really long time <laughs> for these yeah. to be implemented. I mean, I feel like it's, you know, they have to go through all the audits and, and uh, make sure that, you know, what, that everybody's complying with these particular set of standards. You know, as long as you're not falling into any of those categories, then I don't know that it impacts you much at all other than, you know, hopefully your ad is not going up against or next to right. some of these really questionable or awful ads that used to come up. So I, unless something you're creating falls into one of those categories, I don't see how it would make much of a difference. Gotcha. So do you think that this is actually going to lead to positive change or do you think I'm trying to be like cynical here, but is a PR move just to abate these ad boycotts and like comfort conflicted advertisers and brands because like 93% of Facebook advertisers did not participate in the hashtag stop the hate ad boycott. And mostly the reason was because a lot of small businesses couldn't have the risk of, you know, because they had to get results from Facebook ads and uh, they get the best quarterly earnings from Facebook family of apps. So, I mean, do you think this is real or just a PR move, I guess? I think it's real um, because I think that there's been a commitment to invest in. I liked the thought, the hearing of the outside auditors coming in to really have some accountability. Mm -hmm. um, I also think there's some really big heavy hitters that are still withholding funds from these large uh, platforms, which, you know, it doesn't seem like it hurts, but the optics of it are really bad for the platforms. Right. So at least it's on people's minds and people are paying more attention to it. So I'm optimistic and I actually, I think it's a really positive thing. Cool. 
Awesome. So there's a couple more questions we've got from our audience that I, because this copyright thing, and then the people's ears start peeking and they start perking up. So, um, and I know you get this question a lot because you're a podcaster as well. And so this is, I think one that is another one that comes up a lot. So are you allowed to use less than 15 seconds of music? Because every, you see this all across the web. And so I'd like to talk about this a little bit. That's a myth. (laughs) Yeah, no, what you're talking about is fair use. Um, and there is no hard and fast rule about what fair use is. And so perhaps I should even define what fair use mm-hmm. is. Fair use is essentially a defense to copyright infringement. So it means, yes, I am infringing on someone else's copyright. And what that means is I'm using it without permission, but I have a defense to it. I'm allowed to for some reason. And the most famous example is parody or news commentary. But this 15 seconds of music is, has become this kind of myth that is not necessarily true. Um, so I always recommend just use the royalty free pay for your music. Yeah. yeah. Great and Bree had a follow up question to his previous one. He wants to know, are copyright laws different for nonprofits versus for profit organizations? And is copyright federal law or is it state law? Like, who are we who are we answering to with this? The f- it's mostly federal um, and it is the same for profit and not for profit. So, and then they, in the announcement, they're talking about you can choose, so rights owners can choose whether they get a worldwide global coverage or just within a certain region. So let's say you're based here in the U.S. and someone in Uzbekistan is using my Instagram image. What are the steps you can take to prevent that? Because you're dealing with a whole other part of the world at this point, right? So... That's the hard part, unfortunately, is because when you start crossing country lines, you know, enforcing your rights here may be really difficult. This is why the scraping sites are always somewhere else. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I mean, you sort of have to hope that they have a host in the U.S. that you can do a DMCA takedown, but it's really difficult. I will say, though, like I've had a number of clients had photos scraped and used in like Facebook ads or something And Facebook is very fast. If you fill out that information in those forms, they're very fast to take them down. Um, and so you have to get a little bit creative and can get very frustrating. But those like those hemp oil ads, they're a really good example where they just like scrape somebody's image. And yes. that's really upsetting for somebody to have their image used without permission and maybe for a product that they don't even want to be associated right. with. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, so Facebook is good even if somebody's in another country. But if you are trying to sort of deal with somebody in another country, it's it's a lot more challenging. So this is a great follow-up. This is from Sunny over on YouTube. She goes, what about what, this is coming from like a, the creator, marketer kind of person. What about watermarking images and putting logos on my videos? I mean, does, will that help some of this um, stop? Or what are you, I mean, Grace mentioned before that they'll cover that up or squiggle it out yeah. sometimes. So <laughs> what do you do in those situations? Yeah, I mean, certainly doing that is putting the world on notice that you're the copyright owner. So there's that's a good thing. You want to have that notice that you own the copyright to this. Um, but unfortunately, there's <laughs> people are really clever about getting rid of watermarks and, and uh, being able to, to Photoshop that out or mm-hmm. whatever the case may be, cropping it. Um, but it does help. So it's it's never a bad thing. You always want you know to sort of put all users on notice that you do own the copyright. So I want to circle all the way back around because the thing you mentioned and people who may not uh, know that they can protect their images online, you mentioned a DCMA takedown. Can you explain what that is and how to actually use it? Because I think we have a lot of new user, uh, new marketers and that this would be helpful for them. Yeah, 
So the DMCA is the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, um, and that essentially allows a creator or an owner of a work to report to a platform that maybe is hosting an image that's been copyright, is being copyright, is infringing on their copyright, I should say. Um, and most companies, Facebook is a great example, have a whole DMCA section. They call it their IP enforcement uh, section. And so you would go in and you would literally fill out a form that would say, I'm the owner of this copyright, this page, this is the infringing page. You know, I've tried to contact them, please pull it down and they'll take it down. And this happens, this is what we usually do if there's a scraping website. This happens, I'd say on average, a couple times a month, I'll get a client say, yep, company scraped my site, is using an infringing name. They're probably in another country. And so we go and do like a reverse lookup, see who the host is, see if we can try to find out who the owner is. And then we file a DMCA takedown notice to the host to pull the whole site down. It takes being aggressive at times, depending on who the host is, but eventually it'll, it'll get taken down. And that's frankly the, usually the easiest way to get infringing materials removed. So I've had this happen before. Like I've had a whole blog post scraped and put on some other people's sites or something. Do I need to go hire an attorney for something like that? Or is that, can I go to like these self-serve things like you mentioned on Facebook? And I guess when does it ex escalate to a point where I need to go hire a professional versus just go to those self-serve kind of places inside of the social platforms? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So it depends on your comfort level. I have some clients who will 100% do it themselves and they feel really confident about it. Others don't want to be bothered with it or spend the time with it. Um, so it really depends on how much you understand what's being asked and if you feel comfortable doing it. Um, it's not difficult to file the DMCA yourself. Um, it does take some follow-up. So sometimes clients don't want to do it. And I will be honest, there are times I get more traction as a lawyer than just the copyright owner does. It stinks. Right. <laughs> it doesn't seem very fair, but they tend to perk up a little bit more when my name pops up as an attorney versus the copyright owner. Oh, that's a right. great point. That's a great point. So once again, Jamie, this is, I mean, this is always when we start talking legal, we get a little scared and we're like, Ugh, <laughs> you know, it just makes, but you make it so easy and so and, nice. So And fun. Yes. And, and fun. fun. And, um, we want to let people know where they can find out more about you and your services. Yeah. So you can find me um, at hashtag-legal.com. That's our website. We post a lot on Instagram and I do little videos explaining a lot of this. We actually have a lot of content on copyright because we get a lot of questions and we are hashtag underscore legal. Uh, those are the two great places to find us. You can also check out my podcast at the Fearless Business Podcast. That's just fearlessbusinesspodcast.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Awesome. Jamie, thank you so much. And that, yeah, I can't wait to go dive into some more of your podcast episodes because they're always really good. So thank you so much for breaking this down uh, with us today. And uh, we hope you have a great weekend. Thanks. See ya. Bye. Thank you, Jamie. All right. Yay. But wait, there's more. See, she makes it so fun. I mean, she really, really does with uh, stuff that like kind of melts your brain a little bit if you get, you know, you get a little nervous about it. Well, we stuff. have a few more. We have one more question. I think, Jeff, uh, you were talking about having your content scraped. Jenna was asking, is there an easy way to tell when your content's been scraped? I used to do this for our own site, but tell us, how did you find out that your content was scraped? It's pretty funny because most of the times when they scrape it, they leave the link back and I get a notification in and WordPress. And I'm like, really? Yeah. You're not even doing yeah. a good job of stealing my stuff. So yeah. anyway, uh, that's how I figured us, it out. 
Yeah, for us, it was like they would just scrape it and we would like we would they would still have social media examiner on it. Right. <laughs> and so we would have a search for social media. There's a lot of tools you can use to right. like find who's talking about you, those trackbacks. And so that's how we would find those scraped articles was because they would leave our markers on there. Right. Yeah. So uh, the next news, uh, this is some more stuff we got from Facebook. So we got a couple just really quick news items we want to let you guys know because some of it can really affect you. So Grace, break this first one down. This is big news. This is big news. Facebook used to have a longstanding rule that your ad images could contain no more than 20% text. And that is text on the image itself, right? So this restriction has been sunset. Now, if you remember in the past, like you would submit an ad and it would get sent back to you as you, and then you just have to play around with it a little more and send back. And there's just a lot of like back and forth, right? So last week, ad buyers started receiving communications from Facebook regarding this change. This was seen uh, mostly by an image mm-hmm. shared by social media expert, Matt Navarra. He, he shared the email that went to him and the announcement reads, we will no longer penalize ads with higher amounts of image text in auctions and delivery. And then while Facebook hasn't quite just said, yes, have at it, the documentation uh, for ad images was updated to reflect this change that says, while Facebook does not explicitly say that you need to keep your ad images at 20% or less of text, right. it now cautions that this 20% metric is a best practice. Now, this rule was initially set back in the early days of Facebook to reduce the noisiness on the newsfeed. However, the platform has certainly evolved over time. And let's just say writing on an ad image is the least distracting thing on right. Facebook right now. So right. have at it with your with your text on images, people. Can you hear that? You can hear it? Those are marketers across the nation just jumping and screaming for joy because this is such fr- so frustrating for everybody uh, to do. But uh, somebody in the comments said, uh, uh, said, um, well, here comes the all text ads. So I don't think we're going to be there because they did say it was best practices. So uh, but it yeah. is it's nice to have a little bit of re- relaxation on this. So I know that's going to uh, make marketers uh, happy across the board. So uh, this next news is face- new Facebook group policies. They're uh, put together to help groups become safe. So Facebook outlined several steps making groups safer, including making it more challenging for users who violate the site's rules to create new groups and other new penalties. So this move comes uh, as civil rights groups, celebrities, advertisers, and even Facebook's employees criticize the company for enforcing rules against hate speech uh, and how quickly they they do or don't take action against uh, offensive content. So some of the measures that Facebook says they're going to do now is they're going to remove all groups related to militia and anarchist organizations from recommendations. Uh, They're going to restrict them in search, reducing their content in the news feeds. Uh, They also are going to remove these groups when they discuss potential violence. They also are going to cease recommending health-related groups to users in its discovery surfaces. So to prioritize connecting people with accurate health information, they're starting to no longer show health groups in recommendations. But users will still be able to invite friends 
donations to health groups or search for them. So it's not as radical as the hate speech kind of uh, situation. So they're also going to reduce exposure for groups that repeatedly share content related false by fact checkers and remove groups that either continue to violate the rules or share content that violates its community standards. So group admins are also now notified each time a piece of content related false by fact checkers is posted. And um, they're also going to be limited from creating new groups for a period of time if you violate those standards. And it's even worse if you have uh, a lot of these community standard violations in a group, they'll now need to get approval for their posts with within that group for 30 days. So you're like in a 30-day timeout if you continue to do that. So they're starting to crack down on some of these things to try to make groups a little bit safer. Yes, and more fun to be in, right? Moving on to YouTube. YouTube is now using artificial intelligence to flag adult content. So uh, it now uses its automatic content detection process, which is currently used to upload or catch things that are depicted as graphic or violence or hate speech or whatever. So now they're using it to flag uh, content that may not be deemed appropriate for anyone under 18. So what this means for users is that if you happen upon a video on YouTube or something that's embedded on a third-party site, but it's a YouTube video and it's flagged as being not appropriate for someone under 18, you then have to log on to YouTube, right? To use Mm -hmm. your name and log on to be able to access it, right? So... Jeff and I were talking about this. This is like everything every teenager knows how to work around. You know how to get around it, yeah. Yeah, so I don't know how much this is. Yep, so, but this is a step to keep younger viewers on the site safe. What this means for creators is that if one of your videos happens to be flagged this way, now, again, this is not a human moderator. This is their AI. Right. Uh, you know, you will have several ways to appeal it. However, if your content is flagged, YouTube does say, like, it probably wasn't eligible for you know, monetization anyway. So, you know, you're not losing anything. So just be aware that if this is happening to you, it's not personal. It's It's the AI. It's not you. It's the AI. (laughs) It's the AI and you just need to appeal it and you will be fine. Right. So next story is Pinterest expands story pins. What are story pins, you might say? Well, they are a beta thing that it's rolling out. It's a suite of creator-first features, including expanding story pins because every platform now, need stories. So it's rolling out to more news, uh, users. I have it. It came out for me. It's uh, rolling out a new creator profile and it's introducing more analytics tools to track performance, which we always love. So they said that these new publishing and measurement tools will give creators ways to publish immersive and expansive stories directly to Pinterest easily and reach pinners looking for inspirational ideas and people to follow. I do know that people have tried this, uh, have noticed their engagement shoot up right now because Pinterest is really uh kind of highlighting those. So if you are a marketer on Pinterest, make sure you check those out or request access to the story pins. And the cool thing about stories, they're uh, designed to show you what people are doing, kind of like stories on other platforms. And they're what if you're trying out new products and doing new ideas over there on Pinterest. And uh, they don't last only 24 hours, which is kind of cool, kind of different on the Pinterest platform. They do not disappear out of a set period and they can come up during search or other discovery mechanisms. So that's pretty cool for marketers. Um, And the best ideas and story pins remain relevant for months. And you actually, I believe, have two weeks to edit those before they get locked in. So uh, that's pretty cool. So if you haven't checked out story pins, go check those out. 
And they've also had some new creator profiles that have launched on uh, Pinterest. So they uh, kind of feature creators' ideas front and center on their published content and not just ideas they've saved, some of the stuff that they've done. And pinners can also now message creators via contact or a message card. And they also, like I mentioned before, have new analytics tools, which we all love as we are all marketers. And that shows a detailed view of how content performs, like categories and interests, audiences that you're getting engagement with the most. So it's got a new engagement tab for creators to manage their pin activity all in one cool, convenient place. So story pins are available to select creators in the United States and will continue rolling out to international creators over the coming months. And they're all only available if you have a Pinterest business account. So go check those out if you are a pinner. And another cool piece of news is Pinterest app downloads. They saw a record due to the new design in iOS 14. So because of this, all this cool stuff you could do now on iOS 14, like uh, change your background and do some, some really cool stuff. Uh, the store has it's chopped topped like the charts for iPhone design inspiration for their custom icons and wallpapers. And it actually uh, has been Pinterest saw a record high number of daily downloads on September 21 when it recorded approximately 616,000 new installs worldwide. And it's actually ranked, uh, it's ranked, uh, number one in the lifestyle category on the app store. So, uh, and it's also gone up quite a bit with us all being down and wanting to rearrange our closets and finding good things to eat and of our cupboards. And so, uh, yeah, really cool stuff happened on Pinterest. So you have to check that out. Go, uh, do that, uh, today. Yeah. So that is our news for today. I want to, uh, Make sure that you guys know that this is a podcast and you can go and download that at uh, Spotify, Google, and what's the other one, Grace? Um, I can't. Apple Podcasts. Yeah, Apple Podcasts. Podcast. The big one. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> but we don't want to let you go without remembering this is like one of the last days to sign up for the YouTube Marketing Summit. You don't want to miss it. If you need to improve your reach, engagement, and sales with YouTube, then you need to be at this live online event. We've got 12 YouTube experts to show you proven strategies to take your marketing to the next level. There's not much time left. You want to go to the YouTube Marketing Summit. It starts Monday. That's this coming Monday. And you can learn more at socialmediaexaminer.com forward slash summit. That's socialmediaexaminer.com forward slash summit. As I mentioned, we have a, this is a podcast. We'd always love for you guys to go leave us a review. But our next show is on Friday, October 2nd at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. And you can find us, as always, on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. And you can always find out what we're talking about, our great and awesome guests, by going to socialmediaexaminer.com forward slash live show. So, so excited to have you guys with us. Thank you for joining us, Grace. Awesome job, as Thank always. Thank you for being here as well, Jeff, or else I'd have to do this show on my own. That's right. <laughs> and especially, I'm very grateful for having Jamie Lieberman from Hashtag Legal with us today. So we always caveat things with, I am not a lawyer, but guess what? She is. So check her out. And thank you, Jamie, for joining us today. We'll see you guys next week. Bye now. Bye, everyone. The Social Media Marketing Talk Show is a Social Media Examiner production. For more social media insight, visit socialmediaexaminer.com. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.